please turn with me this evening to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12 and verse 23. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, Herod, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Well, friends, we're looking uh, this evening at this account of uh, Herod, what happened to Herod, and this somewhat disastrous end, sudden end of judgment that fell upon him when he least expected it. At the pinnacle went off his praise, he was cut down by the Lord because he gave not God the glory. Acts chapter 12, verse 23. Well, friends, a number of people Still today, they think that there is a difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. The God of the Old Testament, they think, is a God of judgment, an unlikable figure. He's always judging people, they think. He's an angry God. He must be because he's always judging other people. But the New, or the New, they say, he's changed. And he is now a God of grace, and he's a God of love, and he's a kinder God than the God you see in the Old Testament. That, that rage has gone out of him, and he is now a changed person. He is more gracious, he's more tolerant than he was before. It's nonsense, of course, friend. That's a total nonsense, and a total misreading, really, of the Scriptures. God cannot change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is perfect. God is always perfect. He's the unchangeable God. If he, He's perfect in all His attributes, whether of judgment, or of mercy, or of grace, He's always been the same. He's always perfect. He doesn't change. These friends tell us that God has changed for the better. He has evolved into a better God than the Old Testament God. Well, it can't be, because God is perfect. If you say that He is now better than what He was, then you are actually saying that He was incomplete before in His attributes. And now He's needed some sort of process to go through to complete Him, to perfect Him. But that cannot be with God, because He is always perfect and uh, he is, to say he is incomplete would be wrong, would be an error. Yet God, we know, does show himself in the Old Testament record, yes, as a God of judgment, but also again and again, repeatedly, we read of him as the God of mercy and a God of grace and the kindness of God and the offers of grace to his people again and again after they had sinned. They, they shine through as well in the Old Testament. Same here in the New. Many people think God is only love and only mercy. Well, when they read such passages as this, as we read tonight, and what happened to Herod? Well, maybe it was shaken. Maybe it will awaken them to realize, oh, this God is also a God of judgment as well as of mercy. That's one of the reasons we have this historical record given to us, left to us in the Scripture, to remind us 
not to be lopsided in our view of God, but to realize and take Him as He is. He is a God of judgment and He is a God of grace. In Acts chapter 5, we read of another occasion when similarly an immediate judgment fell on a married couple, a husband and wife, professing believers. And they said to the Apostle Peter that they'd sold the land for such and such a price when actually they'd sold it for much more. And they lied to Peter. But actually, it was a lie to God. And they were struck down immediately. There on the spot, they lost their life independent of each other. God again showed these, did these things. Fear came upon people who heard about it. And it's there to remind us again uh, that God takes sin seriously. Sin is no light thing with God. Today it is in the world. Today sin is treated as a toy. Today sin is treated as something neutral. Today sin is not made much of. And uh, who cares if it's sinful? Maybe the attitude of so many. But as long as it doesn't harm people, that's all that matters, we say. It's an offense to a holy God. God does take note of these things. And God cannot uh, turn a blind eye to these things. God is holy. God in these passages is shown to us how much He hates sin. How much he, he, how, how judgment will fall upon those who continue in sin. He must punish sin. He especially hates pride. That's what we see here in Herod, King Herod. He was a very proud man. And God had to humble him and bring him down and uh, judge him for his pride. God never leaves pride unchecked. If there's one thing that God hates a lot, and the Bible repeatedly tells us and demonstrates to us, it's pride in man to take glory to himself when he should be giving glory to God. All that man has received, he has received from God. Yet he says, I've done all these things by myself. It's by my own hands. I live and move and have my being. I'm independent of everyone. I don't need God. Well, that, that's a, a, a wrong way to see things because all that we have comes from God. In God we live and move and have our being. Friends, it's so vital for us, uh, just as we introduce this subject, to uh, take God as He is revealed to us in the Word. Many people have their own idea of God, but it's unbiblical. Many people have a God of their own making. In the old times, and still happens in some countries today, uh, people made a God of their own hands. As we read in Psalm 115, whether of wood or, or, or iron, or, or took from a tree, they, they made idols, or uh, even other, other things they used to make uh, idols. But it was, they formed an idol and said, this is our God, and we worship it, and we pray to it, and we'll seek guidance from it. Well, today, we don't do that so much, especially in this country. But people make an idol with their thoughts. People make a God using their own thoughts and their own imaginations. Oh, I think God is a universal God. I think God is a God who loves everyone. I think God is a God who will forgive everyone. 
I think God is a God who will never send every, everyone to hell. He is a loving God. I think He is like this. This is my thoughts about Him. I think God will accept me if I bring some of my righteousness along with believing in Christ. I believe in Christ, yes, 50%, 60% Christ, but I also believe I can present my offering of righteousness together with God. Well, friends, that would be, uh, that's different. That's a God of your own making. God has revealed Himself here in Scripture as a God, yes, of love, but also a God of judgment. This is how I must relate to Him as He has revealed Himself uh, to me. This is the God with whom I have to do. But let's look at uh, Herod and what happened to him. Verse 20, Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. This is Herod Agrippa, and uh, we read that he was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. We don't know why, the cause is never really mentioned why he was so displeased with them, but uh, he was. Uh, Tyre and, and Sidon uh, was uh, regions, uh, cities in uh, Phoenicia, which is modern-day uh, Lebanon, Herod, king, under Rome, over Judea. Highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. The word highly displeased there is hostile. He had hostile feelings. He was embittered against them, resentful, hate, hated uh, them for, su for some particular reason. We don't know the cause of his agitation, but we know he wanted to bring them, uh, as it were, under, uh, to their knees. And so he, inter he, he couldn't go to a war. He couldn't carry out a physical war against them. Rome wouldn't sanction that. So he carried out a trade war. He introduced an embargo. He introduced a policy uh, forbidding the export of grain and corn uh, from, uh, from Judea to these regions. And he also forbade the import of goods uh, from, those, from those regions. And this embargo, well, it hit Tyre and Sidon very hard because they were dependent on Judea for food. Right, uh, for, for centuries, they had been dependent uh, on, on them. Even from the time of Solomon, uh, this land looked to Judea for food supplies. So this policy really did bring uh, the people of Tyre and Sidon to their knees. And uh, we read that the people uh, came to him with one accord, and via the king's treasurer, uh, Blastus, while well, they desired to be at peace again uh, with Herod. Herod's pinching policy worked. It had the effect that it wanted. And now, uh, the, because the people of Tyre and Sidon so really needed that food supply to be started up again, to be operational again, they came and desired peace with the king. Well, friends, may I just say in application, just as uh, these people of Tyre and Sidon depended on Herod for food and for nourishment for their land, so also each one of us are dependent on God for nourishment, even for our daily bread. We are 
Uh, we are dependent on the living God. So many things could happen to cut off that food supply that we have. That which we take for granted that we're going to have every day on our tables, enough to eat and to drink. Well, any time that could be cut off, any, so many factors could affect our food supply. Adverse weather conditions, disease in, amongst the crops, calamity or the animals, calamities may happen. Wars, we know, affect, as we see with the war in Ukraine, how it's affected our food supply and our food prices. Well, that, that hasn't happened really in our country in the sense of we haven't uh, been without food. We haven't got, gone into starvation, but we are still well provided for. We are still well stocked up in our cupboards and fridges and our storerooms. God is not like Herod. God doesn't cut off the food supply that comes to us. God, in a, in a kind way, has promised to season after season, make sure that there is enough for us uh, to eat. And He does provide us with all these good things, friends, in order that we will see how kind He is, how good He is. And that would lead us to turn uh, to Him and to trust in Him. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 17, or let me read it to you. Nevertheless, He, God, left not Himself without witness, in that He did good, and gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God does these, what are called natural things, so that we will seek Him and find Him and realize how kind He is to provide all these blessings uh, for us. But verse 21, upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. A set day, well, this is probably the second day of a set of games, special games were held every five years uh, at, in that place. And the first day would have been August the 1st, uh, the birthday of Emperor Claudius. Well, this is probably here, this set day, the second day of those uh, special games. And Josephus tells us a little bit about Herod's apparel on this, on this occasion. He says that his royal robe was wrought entirely of silver, and that when the sun's rays uh, shone on that silver, well, it reflected a dazzling light. So you can imagine what it was like to, to see him, uh, to uh, listen to him uh, speak. And so clothed in this splendid robe and sat upon his throne, the king gave out uh, his speech to the people. And when the people heard it, verse 22, they said, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. They praised him to the hilt. They flattered him. They kept on shouting, the word says, not just a single shout. They kept on shouting, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. You are not a mortal man like us, they were saying. You are like God. You are like a God. They deified Herod. And he took it all in. He didn't deflect the praise. He didn't give glory to God. He took it all in as if to say, yes, it's true what you're saying. He took glory to himself. And immediately, verse 23, the angel of the Lord struck him, smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms 
and gave up the ghost. Immediately, uh, when the angel struck him, abdominal pains gripped him. And for five days, we are told, uh, he was by Josephus, that he was in these abdominal, had these abdominal pains and uh, some disease, perhaps in the bowels, and he died after five days. Didn't die immediately, but after five days of unbroken agony. Oh, friends, what an end uh, for him to come to. What was his downfall? How did he come to such a position? Why did he come to such a terrible and awful end? An end that we would never want to die in such a way. Well, it was pride. Pride was his uh, downfall. It had all been building up for, for a while. And then we can see it in this chapter. Up, up, up he went in his estimation of himself. He went from one level of thinking of himself to a higher level and a higher level he, until he reached such a point, the pinnacle of pride, satanic pride we could say, and he thought of himself, I am like God. And he received all that adulation from the people. Pride was the cause of his downfall. And pride, friends, will also be the cause of our downfall. If we go on in a, a way that is proud, then we can only expect, we may not end up in the same way, but we can only expect judgment from God at the end. If we fail to come in a humble way before the Lord, well, pride would have its work. Pride will uh, uh, take over. Pride, dear uh, friends, affects each one of us. Whether we're rich or poor, whether we're black or white, whether we're young or old, pride affects each one of us. And it's uh, uh, something, as we've said, God uh, hates. Let's look at the trajectory of pride in Herod and see how he went from one level of pride uh, to another and how he was so affected by even basic things in life or things that we consider so common and so ordinary, how they affected him and affected his pride and how we should learn from him. Verses 1 to 3, we read that he persecuted the church. He vexed the church of Christ, that early church. He tried his best to disturb the services there. Why did he do it? He killed James, the brother of John, uh, with the sword. Why is he doing all these things? Verse 3 tells us, because he saw it pleased the Jews, the religious Jews. He was doing it all to gain popularity with the Jews. And he got what he wanted. The Jews were happy with what he did. And that puffed him up with pride. Then we see, as we saw, uh, his trade policy was successful. It brought their enemies to their knees. Oh, he'd won. I've won. Victory. I'm in the ascendancy here. And these, my enemies, are at my feet. I am triumphant, elated with success and triumph. He also became inflated, more inflated with pride. Success, friends. Success, friends. How few people can handle it, really. Success may also inflate me. Success in our education. Success in our studies. Which university did I go to? Well, oh, uh, I went to a prestigious university. 
How many people really who've been to Oxbridge or some other prestigious university, well, it might uplift them with pride. It may contribute to that pride in life. Oh, it suddenly slipped into the conversation. I've been so-and-so. Parents that use it. My children have been so-and-so. Well, friends, I know I used to help uh, as a guidance counselor. I used to help students in this way. And you can see people wanted the pr more prestigious university instead of one that are suitable for them. Why? Because uh, they can tell other people. You can tell the neighbors and they can tell the friends, my child is going to such and such a university. Success, uh, having been to such a place, well, it may be difficult uh, to handle and it may elate us with pride. Even look from Herod's clothing. Here he, he's wearing this special robe and it's dazzling silver and all that would have made him think he is so special. And even, even today, uh, clothing, even such an innocent thing as clothing can contribute to a person's pride. Fashion, fashionable accessories, I'm wearing all these designer outfits, I've got branded watches, got branded uh, trainers, branded handbags. Well, friends, what is it all saying? In so many cases, look at me, look at me, I'm special, I'm different. I want to gain attention and notice to myself, but it increases our pride, our thoughts about ourselves, that we are somebody great. Status as well. Herod, after all, he was a king, and he had a throne, a throne on which only he could sit. Well, only me, only no one else could sit on that place. Just think what that would mean to him. Don't you think that it made him think more highly of himself than he ought to have done? Oh, friends, how few can handle power and status aright. There are so many examples of this that we see, and very few can manage it in the right way. Then we read about his speech and that oration that he gave, and the people praising him and adulating him. And he ought, as we've said, to deflect that praise to God, but instead he ascribed it to himself. God, he should have said, has given me the ability to speak and do these things. He should have humbly thought, at least in his heart, this is how it is. But it wasn't, that didn't happen. Do we do that, friends? Do we take the glory to ourselves, which belongs to God? Maybe I'm a good communicator. Maybe I'm an outgoing person. The life and soul of the party. Maybe I'm a creative person, somebody who's able to come up with innovative ideas. Maybe I'm a good problem solver. Everyone knows me as a problem fixer. Do I say, this is all my own doing? This is, this is the work of my hands. It's all down to me. I ascribe it all to me. Or do I give glory to God for these gifts? Do I say, Lord, thou, you have blessed me? Pride, friends, was what kept Herod from giving glory to God. And pride uh, also will keep us from giving glory to God. Pride will lead us down the same path, that path of vain glory. Pride, friends, it's so horrible. It's so terrible a thing. If only we could see it. Pride cuts, cuts me off from God. Pride keeps me out of His holy presence. 
Pride means he won't even look at me. He won't even cast an eye or a glance at me if I have those proud looks. Pride uh, causes God to turn his face away from me. Pride withholds his blessing from me. Forgiveness, there's no forgiveness for the proud. Pride will prevent me even from asking for forgiveness because it's free and I can't do that. I can't humble myself to ask for a free forgiveness from God. Pride will prevent you from doing that. Pride, friends, shuts people out of heaven. No proud person can ever enter heaven. Oh, friends, this is not the way uh, to live. Let me just briefly, before we come to a close, uh, let me briefly take you to another king and talk to you about another king and contrast that king with this king, Herod. We're talking of none other but the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, think of him. See how this king lived when he came from heaven. He was a true king. He was worthy of praise and glory. But see how he lived. He didn't seek popularity when he was in this world. In fact, he was rejected by men. He was despised by men. Christ was despised by others. Christ had tremendous success, it's true, but he never boasted about it like Herod did. Christ had no throne in this world like Herod had, but he had also no home of his own, nothing that he could call uh, his own. He had no royal robes like Herod. He had only one set of plain clothes, ordinary clothes to wear. The Savior, the King of Kings, this is him. He had the gift of oratory, but he never used it for selfish ends, to build up himself and to just get the acclaim of the people. He used his public speaking skills for the benefit of the people, to bless them, to educate them, to enlighten them, to tell them the way that they could go to heaven. It was for others that he used what he had. His aim in life was always, Father, glorify thy name. He went to the cross saying, Father, glorify thy name. Herod, look, he died for his own sins. He was smitten of an angel for his own sins. But Christ went to the cross and died for the sins of others, for the sins of his people. Isaiah 53, verse 8, For the transgression of my people was he stricken, Herod was stricken for his sins. The Son of God was stricken for the sins of others, for the sins of his own people. You know it, friends. Christ went to the cross, died on that cruel cross, taking upon himself the punishment of all those who will trust and believe in him, smitten with agony and pain and grief, and sorrows that really didn't belong to him, ought never to have fallen upon him, but they fell on him because he was there standing as our mediator, as our substitute. All he was doing was for his people, for all who will trust in him. And if you will trust in him uh, even tonight, then he, will, then he will forgive all your sins. If you will leave your sins and trust in this Savior, he will pardon you. He will cleanse you even tonight. 
and make you his own. This is what he did. His death is glorious. Oh, this is a shameful way that Herod died. This is a, what, what, uh, what a terrible way to die in such a, a way of judgment. But the Son of God died. Yes, also we could say in a shameful way on the cross, but how much he achieved by his death. A glorious death. Well, friends, I close with this question. How can I give glory to God? How can I then give glory to God? Well, in this simple way, you thank Him for the salvation that He has provided that is in Christ. And then you believe in what He has done. You believe in Christ and in Christ alone. That's what salvation is, trusting wholeheartedly in Christ. And then you yield your life to Jesus Christ. This is the way, simple way, you give glory to God. That's how you begin to live life. You humble yourself under His mighty hand and you receive and accept what He has done, what Christ has done on your behalf. And you trust Him and you live your life for Him. Oh friends, come and trust in this Saviour. Come and begin to give glory to God. Let it not be your epitaph at the end of life. He gave not God the glory. But let it be he lived for, God, for God's glory. The, the end of his life was better than his beginning. He lived at the beginning for himself, for, him, for his own glory, for his own praise. But he ended up his life living for God's glory and God's honor. Let that be our epitaph at the end of our life. Let's uh, pray together. O oh Lord, we come before Thee again, the great God, and acknowledge to Thee alone be all the glory. Lord, help us to glorify Thy name in believing in Thee, in believing in Thy great salvation, and in believing in Jesus Christ, the Saviour whom Thou hast provided. Help us and bless us, each one, we ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. We sing together our final hymn, number 385, Out of My Bondage, Sorrow and Night, 385.